Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, Juicing Statistics, and Sports Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracing. And I'm Corwin Heller, still really just the guy that's here. And uh, we're back. We're back. Back in the New York groove. Um, it's been a minute because I was away and then Corwin was tired and now we're here. We sat here. We talked. It was like, whatever. We're back. And then you just did that little singing and it's like, man, I missed you, bud. <laughs> it isn't an episode of the show unless one of us gets sing-songy um, at some at some juncture. And we got it out of the way early. So, yeah. Welcome back to the show. We have not recorded for a while. Uh, we have not recorded. It's been so long that the A's, A, A, oh, Jesus Christ. The ALCS and the NLCS both concluded. We didn't talk about it. The World Series started. We didn't talk about it. And the World Series finished. And we didn't talk about it. Um, that's how long it's been. So uh, we're going to, you got a fuck ton of shit to talk about. We're going to be very selective. Uh, Sports, podcast, all in quotation marks. <laughs> oh, very much so. Uh, so I, I guess we'll we'll start with the World Series. And this is probably the uh, single biggest on-field event that has happened since we last talked. And uh, Corbin, did you watch uh, five seconds of it? Um, I really don't appreciate these gotcha questions uh, the second we get back. Um, Classic gotcha journalism. No. No. Did you do your job? I don't think we need to be making accusations here, but uh, no, I did not. (laughs) Ah, well... In what is a shock to the nation, the Atlanta Braves not only beat the Dodgers in a seven-game series, which, oh boy, what the fuck, uh, they beat the Astros in a seven-game series. Yeah, in what is a continuation of, oh boy, what the fuck. Uh, so to take it, I guess, a, a little bit granular, but still big picture looking at it game by game, Braves come out mashing, win the first game six to two, and you go, all right, shit, goddamn, I, 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 I guess that's nice. Okay, then set game two happens, Max Free gets rocked, uh, Astros win seven to two, and you go, ah, oh, all right, all right, we're back on, we're back on course. And this isn't me saying I'm, I'm rooting actively against Atlanta or actively for Houston. But in terms of expectations, it feels par for the course. Then we we head back to Atlanta, and the the Atlanta team takes a second game two to nothing, shutting out the Astros entirely. Then game four, Braves win three to two. It's getting weird. They are now one win away from winning the World Series. Game five back in Houston. Astros take that game nine to five. And you go, oh, all right, all right. Thank you. They're gonna. This is this is where they go seven games. You get those three to one memes again, just like when the when the Braves lost to the Dodgers last year. Uh, Ha ha ha, Atlanta, you punk bitches, you ain't doing shit. And then the then the Braves came out and just rammed it straight up the entire ass of Houston, uh, winning seven to nothing with Houston looking fucking horrible against Max Freed and, and the Atlanta team. And fuck. 
I mean, uh, it's just astonishing. After every single Atlanta win that we talked about, we have brought up the idea of, do we believe this is what we're going to get out of Atlanta? Like, do we believe that this is going to be sustainable, that this is going to be, you know, something that continues on? Are the Dodgers in, you know, danger of getting knocked off? And every single time I said, no, the, the Braves are like, okay, but they're not a good team. They don't stand up to the Dodgers. They don't stand up to the Astros if they even made it. No. Why do you listen to what I have to say? I'm clearly very dumb and don't know what I'm talking about because I got it wrong just over, 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 over again. Just nonstop incorrect wrongness. Yeah, we, we truly are very silly people at the end of the day. Um, mm. Because, yeah. yeah, I mean, we're all in that boat. Like, if, if you look at who the Braves had to go through to get there, they had to win the NLDS uh, against the Brewers. And I think everyone would have picked the Brewers because their pitching staff was amazing. Uh, you know, they won seven more games than the, the Braves did. Um in the Atlanta team, I have to start correcting myself on that one too because that name is probably going to change soon. The Atlanta team, um, we have and time. they haven't made that announcement. They haven't. I want to want to get ahead of it though. No, uh, start adjusting to it early, uh, and you know neither team really hit super great in the regular season. But like we talked about when we talked about that matchup, if if it has to, if the um, I don't know arm has to go one way or the other, you'd probably lean towards the Brewers because they had such an amazing pitching staff. And then lo and behold, Brewers got fucked. So then they go and play the Dodgers and you go, oh, well, the Dodgers had one of the best records in baseball this season, won 106 games. They just beat the Giants who won 107 games. So you, clearly the, the talent is performing as it should. And then they ass fucked the Dodgers winning in also six games, four to two. And the Dodgers had 16, sorry, 18 more wins than them in the regular season. And then you go over to the Astros, who only won a paltry 95 games in the regular season, but in a much harder division, in a much harder league. And they take they take them to the shed too on it. And it's it's obviously a very fun story because when a team that's not super hot for the whole season wins it all, it's like, hey, look what they did. Um, that's what makes talking about like the 97 Marlins and the 2003 Marlins or the 2019 uh, Nationals what makes that that talking mm-hmm. about those teams so fun because it's like, oh, they were nothing. They didn't win their division. They barely made the playoffs. Look at them now. World Series champs. Oh, um, you're really bad teams to an extent. Right, right. At least comparatively. Our, yeah, clearly not the best. Otherwise, they would have at least won their division. Right. And they still managed to, you know, pull that type of shit out. But, you know, I think it's also easy to fall into the trap of, ah, just wait till they get Ronald Acuna back or some shit like that. Like, it's Mm -hmm. so easy to look at stars align and think that that is the new norm instead of a maybe not once in a lifetime, but once in a lunar cycle or fucking whatever occurrence. (laughs) Once a month. I don't know astrology. Um, sure, I guess. I guess it looks like no, like a whole year. There's a lunar calendar, like whenever Rosh Hashanah is. Uh, the lunar calendar is 28 days, though. 
Well, it depends because the Jewish calendar is the lunar count runs on a lunar calendar schedule. I don't know. Fuck it. I don't know, man. I don't know the moon. We what know look like very NASA? little about the thing that we say that we know a lot about, let alone things that we are just very stupid about. Yeah, I was going to say, when the hell did I claim to know anything about the moon? Ty comes in, Ty goes out. You can't explain that. <laughs> this is a moon podcast now, Josh. While you were gone, we made some changes. There was some paperwork to be filed. The moon is cheddar cheese. I will hear no arguments to the contrary. Wallace and Gromit would never lie to me. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Josh's knowledge of the moon to the side. Uh, it, it's easy to look at that type of shit line up and say, oh, well, here, we're just going to like add more stuff to it. That's not how it goes. Um, I mean, like the fact that Atlanta did this with almost a non-existent rotation due to injuries and kind of sort of the way that team is structured is fucking astonishing. Like once Charlie Morton went down after pitching two and a third innings, some of which on a broken fucking leg. Yeah. Yeah. A fucking over. I was like, oh, well, that's it. And it's not so much like they needed necessarily Charlie Morton, but they needed a, uh, you would think anyway, they needed a guy to pitch you up to, let's say 12 innings in the postseason, those innings are now gone and must now be replaced by a litany of other people who theoretically would do that job worse than Charlie Morton. And instead, no, they were fucking fine. They were incredibly fucking okay, which defies all reasoning. And again, like that's the exact same thing that we've been saying this whole time of, well, they lost that aspect or they lost that play or they lost, X amount of games in the regular season, they didn't prove that they were the better team. It's over for them. And I don't think they were included on that email chain because clearly they did not. It's over. And they won. The average pitching appearance for the Braves team, or the sorry, for the Atlanta team in the postseason, how many innings? Uh, 5.3. No, that's 4.3. Uh, 1.8. So I guess we'll call that uh, basically two innings. Average appearance, two innings. Only one guy pitched more than 10 innings for them in the postseason, and that guy was Max Freed, who pitched 11. I would uh, I would argue um, pretty much anything to make it seem like I'm not this stupid, but again, I, I did not watch anything, so sorry. Interestingly enough, the Astros had uh, even worse. They had 52 innings pitched and 37 pitching appearances by their various players, which comes out to 1.4 innings pitched per appearance, um, which means, I mean, they had they had 37 pitching appearances in the postseason as compared to Atlanta's 29. So that's eight more, which certainly doesn't quite feel like it necessarily, but Dusty Baker was certainly very aggressive with his bullpen usage in that series. And I think it comes down to the idea of Astros had starters. The starters just sucked hot balls. Um, whereas the Atlanta team didn't really have starters, but everyone just kind of pitched well. Mm. Cause this, um, Which would you rather have? The better pitching performance. Uh, <laughs> I, I, hands fucking down. The Astros got rocked. Would you rather have pitchers that do well or pitchers that don't? And this has led to 
a renewed discussion of do we what do we do about the concept of the starting pitcher? Because in the postseason, starting pitchers have thrown even fewer innings this season, this postseason than they have in previous mm-hmm. postseasons. So that number keeps going down. And it's, I think, come to a an emotional point rather than a logical one, which is fair, which is the idea of do you want to watch starting pitchers? Like, is that something MLB wants to prioritize because they want it? Or is it something you let die because it's having a natural death? You know what I mean? Hmm. I feel like... I wouldn't want to make any adjustments to the rules just to change what the play style is for the playoffs unless it's quote-unquote broken. I don't think we're anywhere near that point with pitchers not going deep enough into games. or like I don't even know how you would change that to make it be a fair rule change. What rule would you change? And that's what I was going to bring up next because if you – so let's look at the avenues you could do this. You could say they have to throw a certain number of pitches. Oh, that gets really dicey really quick. Yeah. And like, we've seen that already with innings or batter minimums and things like that, where it's, you still got, you, you suck, but you still got to be out there. Yeah. And, and it's like, if you, cause also what would you even set that at? You know what I mean? You're not going to set it a hundred. That's an mm-hmm. insane thing to have to do because what do you do about stars that are coming back from injury where they're going to be set to 60 quote unquote openers for the raise right or even just a guy who goes out there and throws 30 in the first inning and you're like oh well he can't keep doing this like it's un if, if a starter is getting rocked in the first mm-hmm. no team should let your starter throw 40 and for the 40 pitches in an inning it, it's just right. detrimental to their health at that point you need a a, a, a break for, for for the safety of your arm and so if mm-hmm. you get to like 40, and it, it doesn't happen a lot, but it happens where a starter mm-hmm. will get to like 40 pitches in the first and their team pulls them because that's just unsafe. But if you set a, a minimum pitch count, that's just, what do you do? You're fucked. Or like when a, a pitcher goes out there and is clearly not performing, you know, to expectations, velocities down, uh, placement is all over the place you send your pitching coach out there because you think the guy's hurt and he's like, no, I'm not hurt. I'm, I'm throwing fine. I just need to get warmed up, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't want to leave the game. You can't really pull him because he says he's not injured and he hasn't reached the minimum number of pitches or batter's face or anything like that. And it's like, well, he's injuring himself even further. I guess you could give the managers the power to say, no, you're injured you're leaving the game, but then that gets dicey with, well, everyone's just going to say their pitchers are injured when they want to change their starter. Right. He's got a, a stub toe because he landed funky on a, on a thing or his elbows stiff and we're worried and uh, he's fine by his next start. Um, I love that I, we came up with something that needed to change and then are discussing why that random thing shouldn't be changed. Even well, though it, nobody once has said anything about needing to change it. Well, you know, it has it has come up about the idea of the starter disappearing and whether or not we'd want to keep that. And it, I I do like the idea of the starter, and I I would like to do something to preserve it. I think it's going to come down to how, because just like you can't do really mm-hmm. do a pitch count thing, it'd be tough to do an innings pitch thing. It'd be tough to say that the first pitcher has to throw five innings, 
Because again, what do you do if a guy's coming back from injury and you only want him to do three? You're not going to force him to do five. That's stupid. You could maybe set a maximum quantity of pitchers used. And you could start it off setting it pretty high, like what they did with mound visits. And then they lowered it after they realized no one was really using six. They're like, all right, maybe we only need five. So you could say, Mm -hmm. we're only going to give you, I don't know, seven pitchers in the game. Seven pitchers is a lot of pitchers. No one should really frequently be hitting seven. If you're worried about maybe maybe you do eight or nine. Nine pitchers would be a lot of pitchers. Even then, though, like what happens when a game goes long or multiple guys are, you know, there are definitely games where, you know, teams will use 10, 12 pitchers because doesn't go to plan. They need to change it up and it's just, all right, this is what we have to do just to get through the game. And it's like, all right, well, all of our pitchers suck right now. We have a bunch of guys on short rest. Well, we have to put them out there because we need to. I don't know. I don't even know where I'm going. Well, with it. And that, that's the tough part about making an interference in, you know, like the ecology of baseball is that it's going to have, you know, unnatural repercussions because you're, you're fucking with something and mm-hmm. it's fine as long as you accept that. So if, if MLB front office came out and said, we're instituting a, uh, 10 pitcher maximum with the potential to lower that number as we see fit, obviously we'll come up with excuses or uh, possible outcomes in which that would be undesirable. Mm-hmm. But if they want to do something about having more of a starting pitching presence, which it sounds like might happen is going to be something that's at least a, a skosh uncomfortable, but We'll see. Which also brings to the the point that uh, chances are we have seen the last pitcher hitting as a result of the lack of DH as that is almost certain going to become a universal DH in 2022. We are witnessing the end of a very long era, my friend. Zach Grinke's going to retire now. He has nothing left to fight for. The fact that he got pinch hit like he did a pinch hit. He had a pinch hit at bat mm-hmm. and got a hit is the most Zach Greinke thing on the planet. And I fucking love it. I love it so much. That's Zach, what I live for. Zach Greinke had two hits in this postseason, which is more than Aledmus Diaz, uh, Marwin Gonzalez and Jose Siri and actual batters like Chaz McCormick. That's amazing. And he was tied. He was tied in hits with Alex Bregman and Jordan Alvarez, which is really not good. Zach Greinke's OPS is higher. was actually uh, the highest on the team. Granted, three at-bats, the smallest sample size. But still. But still. Um, The highest. If there were bets on. Zach Grinky matching Jordan Alvarez's hit count, people probably just lost so much money. Oh, yeah. Let's see. Uh, and both of Grinky's hits were singles, whereas Jordan's hits, he had a home run and a single. So, yeah. Look, those are details we don't need to discuss because they ruin our point. Just, we don't need them. 
Uh, shout outs to World Series MVP Jorge Soler, who who picked him to, to to be doing this well in in October, November. Congrats. Uh, yeah, November. Congrats to him, who is having a less than stellar season uh, in Kansas City. He actually let me pull up his actual stats. So in, in Kansas City, to start the year, he was batting 192. 288, 370. That is a OPS of 658, which is an OPS plus of 76, uh, which was the second lowest of his career up to that point. He then gets traded to Atlanta, where in 55 games he bats 269, 358, 524, which is good for an 882 OPS and a 128 OPS plus, significantly better than what he was doing in Kansas City. And ends up having himself a strong postseason, a strong World Series performance, where in uh, six games, 20 at-bats, he bat 300, 391, 800, which is good for an OPS of 191, a championship win probability added of 23.6. Who? Fuck you. What the shit? Um, Is that that like 2.3% or 23%? 23.6%. 0.06. God damn. How? Dude. Oh my God. Oh dear Lord. Fuck How? yourself in the face. How do you do that? Amazing. Absolutely amazing. I don't really? even understand that. How? No, I, I don't understand that shit. The fuck either. Um, yeah. God, way to go. Jorge Soler. Um, yeah, he had he had uh, six hits in the World Series. He had eight hits in the postseason. Six of them were in the World Series. That's amazing. Uh, of his six hits, three of them were home runs, and one of them was a double. So of his six hits, only two were singles. Um, he also walked himself three times. So he really just fucking showed up. Congrats to him. Hats off to Jorge. Uh, certainly deserving. And isn't it wild that Jorge Soler with his career 3.5 war has two world series rings. He's one of those guys where I feel like he should kind of be one of those like yearly all-stars or at least a candidate for that. But I can't remember outside of what it was two years ago when he led the league in home runs. Yes. I've not really heard the name much. I mean, what do what do his other seasons look like? Uh f- fine. They look nothing fine. special, just average above average. Pretty uh, good. his twenty fifteen nothing... year with Chicago, which if you ask me if he played for the Chicago Cubs, I'd say, nah, he didn't. Uh and yes, he did. Um he had a uh uh 146 OPS plus his rookie season is 2015 year 99 2016 103 uh, the year before his all his home runs he had a 123 OPS plus with Kansas City and that's pretty good but at, that that's really the best of his career outside of the 48 home run season everything else has been f- fine okay okay can't say I would know uh, also shout outs to Terrence Gore for collecting his second World Series ring Really? Yes, he is. Uh, with Kansas City. 
really he's been around that long yeah he was he's famous because he made his mlb debut in the world series Huh, I don't remember that whatsoever. That but. was that was his claim uh, his claim to fame at the time is he made his MLB debut in the World Series for Kansas City. They ended up winning the World Series in 2015. And then he got picked up by Atlanta mid-season sometime um to essentially just do the turn score thing and be a pinch runner and I don't think he made an appearance in the game. Thing. And he gets a World Series ring, which means Terrence Gore and his career 0.2 war as a world, there's two World Series rings. He has more World Series rings than Eric Hosmer. He has just as much World Series rings as he has 0.1 war. That's one of the worst ones you've ever had. Like, if he had one war and he had collected his World Series rings at 0.1 war per clip, he'd have 10 World Series rings. He's on pace to have 10 World Series rings by the time he gets one war. Corbin's hate, rubbing his eyes. I hate, I hate stats. I love stats, but I hate stats. He has not had a plate appearance since 2019. Apparently, what? he was on the Dodgers last year. No one knows why or how or when. Sports are weird. Sports Apparently, are really he weird. showed up at some point in the NLDS this season with Atlanta, but didn't have a plate. So he probably pinch ran for Atlanta. In the NLDS, and that was all he did. He did not show up, made zero appearances in the NLCS or the World Series. Why not? Sure. He has 10 World Series games or 10 postseason games played, and no hits, and he has 10 games played. He has two plate appearances, three runs scored. Five stolen bases with one caught stealing, two strikeouts, and then nothing else. Nothing. Wow. Full. So his batting line is, is all zeros. <laughs> Dude, he is going to be the answer to so many trivia questions at some point. Oh, God, I love those kind of players. I mean, how many players play, how many batters, position players, mm-hmm. play in 10 games, two championship rings, and get no hits? But get five stolen bases along the way. That's efficient, so rare. Efficient ones. That's exactly it. Just the man is about as efficient of a ball player as you can find. How old do you think he is? Like in your mind? In my mind, 23. Or in Just reality. Just got called uh, in reality, 29. 30. Okay, not too shabby. But yeah, that's a, that's a wild career to never actually get a hit. Um, he has, oh my God. <laughs> I'm just, I'm scared about what's to come out of that reaction. He has 15 career hits, regular season. How many games played total? He's played for seven years. How many games played? 102. So in seven years, he has not amassed a full season of MLB play 
and he's got 15 hits. And you want to hear the funniest part about that? 14 of them came in one season. No. Yeah. Oh, so, Josh. So 2014, 11 games, no hits. 2015, still with the Royals, nine games, no hits. 2016, 17 games with the Royals, no hits. 2017, 12 games with the Royals, no hits. He's played for four seasons in MLB so far, no hits. 2018, he plays 14 games, first career hit. His first career hit came in 2018 with the Cubs. He played for five seasons and has a World Series ring. 2018 comes along. He gets regular some regular playing time with the Royals. He plays 37 games, collects 14 hits, um, has an OPS of 90, OPS plus of 91, which honestly for him, that's really not that bad. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then 2020, he plays with the Dodgers in two games, no hits, and then made no regular season appearance with any MLB club in 2021. Went to the the MLB 2021 postseason, won a World Series with the Braves, no hits. He has 15 career MLB hits across uh, 102 regular season games and 10 postseason games, 112 games, 15 hits. I don't know why you're hating on this guy for just being I'm not hating with his job. I'm not hating at all. One, two doubles, one triple, no home runs, one RBI. It's just amazing. It's a beautiful thing. I love it. 40 stolen bases. <laughs> Nine cost ceiling, seven caught, seven walks, 23 strikeouts. It's just beautiful. I wonder, I wonder what the highest ratio for stolen bases to hit in a career is. Because clearly it's he's got to be close or at least in that conversation because 40 stolen bases to 15 hits over a seven-year career, 10-year career. I've already forgotten the number. Seven-year. So much I care. So Ricky it's Henderson. stupid. Let, let, let's do that math, Corbin. Ricky Henderson okay. had um, – let's see. So how many hits would it take? How many stolen bases? So he had – How many uh, licks would it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? He had 3,055 hits, and he had uh, 1,406 stolen bases. So that's uh, 2.1 hits, uh, 2.2, 2.2 hits per stolen base, okay? Terrence Mm -hmm. Gore has uh, 15 hits and 40 stolen bases, which means he has a stolen base for every third of a hit. So every time he got a hit, he already had uh, two, uh, 3.75 stolen bases. That's Those are bad numbers. That's a great number. Yeah, oh, sorry. Um, actually, I should do it the other way around to do it the other way around. Uh, 2.67 stolen bases, I should say. My apologies, math folks. Uh, two points. Every time he got a hit, he already had 2.7 stolen bases. Just astonishing. Just just. He's going to be an answer to so many trivia questions. God, I fucking love that. But you know, it it leads the it leads a lot of teams left in in limbo here because you got to look at the Dodgers, who mm-hmm. had an unsuccessful campaign again and have yet to really win a, a World Series that they can fully be proud of because it's 
obviously, yes, winning the World Series in 2020 is still an accomplishment. You still get to hang a banner. You still get a ring. You still get to hang your hat on that. You get the playoff bonuses. You get laid. All that shit's still true. Uh, however, when a fan looks at you and says, your team won a Mickey Mouse ring, they're not necessarily wrong. You won a 60-game season. Here's a strong pat on the back. The NBA plays more games than that. Um, <laughs> but so if you're a fan, it's not the it's not the level of success you want, especially when your team had so much regular season success. Mm-hmm. And now the Clayton Kershaw's a free agent, which is also a wild sentence. But he is an actual free agent. And you know, the rest of your team's probably going to stay pretty much intact. I believe they have Trey Turner for another season. Uh, Mad Max is also now a free agent, I believe. Um, yes. Yeah, because and, they were talking about him being a rental. Yeah. And uh, Corey Seager is a free agent. It, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of questions with maybe not necessarily if the Dodgers will be good, but at least what that Dodgers team will look like come the start of next offseason. Much of which can also be said about the Astros, who also had uh, an unsuccessful postseason in terms of actually winning a championship. There's obviously mm-hmm. successes that were had along the way, but didn't get a ring. And now look at that team, and it's also full of question marks. Zach Greinke's now going to be gone. There's a strong chance Carlos Correa is gone. And I, I don't have the list of their entire free agent players in front of me, but you know, even just a handful of guys along those lines, and it'll be tough mm-hmm. to to kind of see what that team ultimately looks like without a couple of their star players. And it doesn't really clean things up for Atlanta because Freddie Freeman still isn't signed to another extension. And they, I mean, they have to resign him, right? Like, you would no think they, they have to, but if it's gotten to this point, like if they approach him during the regular season about it, I think, I don't think he would have shopped around much because you have to consider to a certain extent uh, a player's emotional ties to a city and team, which are always mm-hmm. greater than a team's emotional tie to a player. I'm not saying that, that players will take a hometown discount or any of that shit, but I think if you came to a player and said, we want to keep you at a time mm-hmm. when it was not crunch time, that plays a little bit better than coming to a player during free agency when you had a whole season to do it and you didn't mm-hmm. um, being like, hey, we want to keep you. So I, yeah, I would think that Atlanta has to make a real push uh, for the fans, for Freddie, for the fact that they won't be as good without him. Uh, but it, at this point, Freddie might try to actually get a taste of free agency, see what it's like. Uh, not going to have him. I, I think Charlie Morton's a free agent now as well. Um, mm-hmm. There's uh, there's going to be a, a, a small bit of, of shaking up going on around up in Atlanta as well. And uh it's so interesting to see a team not see three different, very successful teams for this postseason, not have a clear defined next year plan. Mm-hmm. Like when the Dodgers lost in 2017, you right. knew they were still going to be great. And you knew that that team wasn't really going anywhere in terms of personnel. Right. Same thing when the Astros won it in 2017. Mm-hmm. And that continues for the, the next five years since then. Um, but this year, it really feels like the teams that lost might be in for a shakeup. And the team that won also might be in for a shakeup. It, it, it's weird. 
do you see the Braves having a Nationals kind of offseason post-World Series victory? All right. We've asked enough questions that I now have to actually go to spot track and take a peek around um, because I don't know what their payroll commitment is right now. And again, it's also so tough to, to get a gauge on it because if if Atlanta feels like they can repeat this magic over the course of a 162 game season with a full year of Ronald Acuna Jr. and him in the mm-hmm. postseason, then maybe they don't do anything. Um, as it stands right now in 2022, Atlanta has the 11th highest committed payroll, which is, as it stands right now, 37 out of 40 players uh, to the tune of $116 million. Uh, so they have a lot of room to go up if they want to. There's seemingly no reason they wouldn't sign Freddie Freeman if that's going to be the case. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't I don't know what their what their game here is because they uh, they've gotten some good step forwards steps forward from like their their young pitching guys. Max Reed looked great this season, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't I don't know I don't know if there's an obvious path forward for them because repeat feel like they, repeat sounds very unlikely. Right, and then winning a World Series is hard enough, even when you're not trying to repeat. But when, I mean, you have Ronald Acuna Jr. coming back, like that's such a big player that I don't want to, you know, um, what's the term for it? You know, undermine like the impact that he would have on that team. I really think they could view that as a serious probability or, or possibility because of just how fucking good he is and how much he would mean to that team to come back and be that leader again on the field. Yeah, they have a bunch of very interesting candidates, though. Mm-hmm. A lot of interesting free agents. Nick Castellanos opted out, so he's a free agent. Um, it has Nolan Arenado listed here, but I don't think he's a real free agent. I think he's. Uh, I think it's just a player option. Um, Nolan Arenado. Yeah, I think it's just a player because he's still he's still in St. Louis. Uh, Chris yeah. Bryant's a free agent. Oh, Marcus Semyon, that's an interesting free agent. Um, you say Kikuchi is a free agent. Holy shit. Has it been that long? Hold on. I think there's some, I think there's some RFAs here. Uh, this is, this, this is a task potentially for another day. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have plenty of time to talk about the off season. You say Kikuchi's already 30. Get out of here. He was pretty old when he came over. Yeah, but still it doesn't feel right. Um, Damn. Yeah, so I I would if I was an Atlanta fan I would want them to not do what Cleveland did after their World Series loss, which is say eh, we're good. Our division sucks. We don't gotta do much. Uh, And then proceed to slowly drift into irrelevance. So you would want them to seize the opportunity of their division seemingly still being pretty shitty. Chances are Washington's still going to be bad next year. Chances are the Marlins aren't going to be good enough next year. Chances are the Phillies aren't going to be good enough next year. And the Mets will forever be the Mets. So if you Is got an opportunity. Is ever going to be worried about the Mets? <laughs> Only their fans. 
um, and their fans' healthcare providers. Um, yeah. So, hats off to the to the Atlanta team. I mean, fucking amazing story. Uh, did you see video, by the way, of of their um, parade bus zooming <laughs> through their parade? Yeah, I mean, going like that 30? wasn't a parade. Yeah, I don't know how you could even consider that being a parade. Apparently, a million people showed up for that. Did they give any reason why they just kind of skipped their own parade? I have no idea. Absolutely bizarre. Because if I'm a player, I'm furious. Yeah, like that's such a fun experience. You get once. I, it's yeah. such a fun interaction with fans. It's such a cool, you know, piece of history that you can be a part of. And, and you know, we've seen in years past, you know, for a bunch of different sports, just how memorable those, you know, events can be, those parades can be. And it's just like, no, we're just not going to do it this year. We're going to we're going to skip it. And it's not even that we're going to skip it. We're going to say we had it and then just not let anyone have any part in it. Very, very weird. Yeah, I've got nothing on it, but very weird. Uh, Speaking of the Mets, talk about that real quick. No one wants to, to be the GM of the Mets. Nobody wants to be the GM of the Mets. Every time the Mets inquire about a potential candidate, that potential candidate goes, no. fuck you, I'm out. Uh, I don't want a shitty-ass job. And boy, is that a fascinating story because it's very, very rare to see a... Uh, everyone says desirable. We'll leave that word off the table for a moment. But everyone, to see such a uh, generally wanted position go unfilled for such an extended period of time. And it really makes you wonder what's going on behind the scenes. Uh I can't help but wonder how much it has to do with Sandy Alderson still being involved in that organization. Uh, because boy, howdy, has he not endeared himself to literally anybody and should probably uh, be sent to the sun. But man, it's fucking confound. It's become a meme on baseball Twitter about everybody saying that, you know, I have also turned down an opportunity to interview to be the president of the Mets. Um <laughs> Because, yeah, it is. uh, People will chalk it up to New York's a tough town. Fuck yourself in the ass. Go go, like go find the nearest lamp pole and just start ramming that thing up your hindquarters because Um, that's a stupid thing to say. It's probably got you (laughs) if you're feeling frisky. uh, Hmm. It's really probably got to do more with how disgusting the culture is of, of that place. And maybe you can get by by promoting internally in a place that has a really gross culture. But the Mets don't even have the ability to do that because uh, they had to fire Zach Scott because he had a DUI, which Buster only has weirdly been defending on Twitter. Very strange. Seriously? Yes, it's been very, very weird. Um, and uh, all right, whatever. Yeah, the whole different discussion. There's too much there to really dig into that. And unpack that right now. Um, so they can't really, they don't have like a, a quote unquote qualified candidate to to promote from within on that front and so they have to go because like with the astros they were able to promote from within to to replace uh whatever that fucking guy's name was um even though their office culture sucked but the, the mets can't they have to go external and i 
really wonder, because we only know however much we know from the outside. And even from this perspective, that job seems like shit. That job mm-hmm. seems like hot shit. And what do you do? I'd want the, I don't know if I'd want the mess GM job right now. That's that's something set up for failure through and through. Well, and it's tough because if, if something else gross comes out, because first of all, to get cleared by Sandy Alderson, what does that really mean? This is the guy that defended Mickey Calloway. This is the guy that defended that other Mets guy, whatever his fucking name was, that, that had some some sexual assault allegations that we talked about earlier in the in the year. Um, I forget his name, which I mean, probably for the best. But you know the story I'm talking I about? I don't think so. Maybe he also had to resign in disgrace. Um, and, and it's led to a lot of questions about the character of Sandy Alderson and who he clears. So it's like, that's not even worth the damn, like whoever they hire that goes through the Alderson process is going to be looked at very askew because it's like, that guy's a piece of human garbage. So there's, let's there's an asterisk next to that name for sure. Oh yeah. And once you get past that, it's like anything that could possibly come out in some way is going to be, mildly reflective onto you because you're the you're the guy or the gal or whatever um guy in my mind is relatively gender neutral but don't want to offend anybody um and it's like that's tough because if alderson's been doing so much hiring and the organization stinks you know fucking head to toe do you want to be involved in that no i know what it's like working for a shitty company you don't want to be a part of it even if you have a good position, even if you're making good money, if it sucks being in that, you know, that work atmosphere, if it sucks being, you know, in that organization, you don't want to be there. And uh, it also doesn't seem like Steve Cohen's really endeared himself to many people because of his uh, his Twitter fingers. You know, it came yeah. out personable when he first joined and it was kind of quirky and fun to have an owner be uh, a regular Twitter user. But, oh, boy, who could have predicted that disaster as he became quickly unendearing himself to the public by being kind of an ass? And if you're the GM, you're going to have a lot of responsibilities in terms of how you communicate to the owner of the team and how that affects what you're looking for on the free agent market, how you're going to construct your roster, all that type of shit. And if the guy sucks and it is hard to control internally, let alone mm-hmm. externally. What the fuck are you going to do with that? Do you want to accept a, a GM job knowing that you're going to have to answer publicly questions about the owner being an asshole to fans on Twitter? That's yeah, or... just something that you just, hey, I really would love to avoid that at my next job. Or even if the owner isn't even being an ass, if he just like cashes. You know, issues checks. Uh, he isn't really interested in cashing. Like him saying that he'll look into minor league abuses and and mm-hmm. writing the the systems with within the Mets about how they handle minor league pay, minor league housing, everything to do with that. And it's like, obviously, the external view will be heavily on Steve Cohen when he says those things. But if he doesn't communicate to you, the GM, that he's going to be saying those things, and he doesn't communicate to you, the GM what the avenues for looking into that and solving, because it's easy for Mm -hmm. Steve Cohen to say that and then do nothing because he's Steve Cohen. But if there's going to be an action item that, that falls in someone's plate, if you're the GM, it's going to be your fucking plate. (laughs) So 
Right. Like you can say you'll look into something all you want. You could even look into it. But if you don't expect anything to happen from that, that's just another PR disaster waiting to happen. Right. And again, if you're the GM, that PR disaster, guess what? Your fucking problem is your problem. Yep. So I I can't say. It's one of those things, which is a common Corbin phrase. It's one of those things. Um, It's one of those things where I'm not surprised that this job is being hard to fill because it certainly seems like one of the least desirable jobs in MLB front offices. But it is also a little bit surprising because even the jobs that seem super undesirable, like, you know, coaching the Jets, uh, usually get filled by decent candidates sooner or later because it's still a step forward in whatever mm-hmm. progre- career progression that person's looking to achieve. And usually someone just sucks it up and says, well, I'm advancing my career, or I'm advancing my gender, I'm advancing my race, whatever, and takes the shitty job because whether it's personal or, or greater than, than the self, there's a reason to do it. And no one's even fucking doing that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's big. So. It's going to be something. I mean, look, it's been a cursed position for a long time. We all talk about it often. We all know it's you know something that hangs over the Mets head. It just doesn't seem like if you are a candidate for the Mets position, I think in your mind, you view yourself as someone who could be a, a candidate for, you know, another front office position or a position, you know, as manager of a team where you're not going to have to face anywhere close to the hurdles that you'll face doing so for the Mets. I think the Mets should hire Dwight Gooden as their GM. That'd be really cool. That would be a blast. I want to see them go former player uh, because honestly, why not? And what do you have to lose? Also, Dwight Gooden's below. Dwight Gooden, a Mets Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. That's one of those things. If you hire a former player, you're giving it a shot. You're giving that opportunity out there. You're giving that opportunity. Jesus Christ. And if it doesn't work, you really can't take much blame compared to, you know, trying to find the perfect front office or perfect analytics or perfect scout to fill that role. Because I feel like there's a lot more leeway and understanding if, you know, a guy who used to be a really good pitcher isn't a great manager rather than a guy that's, you know, trying to fit that mold perfectly with some other aspect of management. Yeah, I mean, plus, it, we don't really see too many front office members who were former players. The only one that jumps to mind immediately is Jerry DePoto, um, who, by the way, I just Googled and is actually from New Jersey, and I did not know that. And now a lot of a lot of things make sense. Yeah, he's from Jersey City. And mm. now a lot, of, a lot of pieces are falling into place for how I understand Jerry DePoto. Um, but it is interesting because there's not often a lot of players who become GM really across sports, but especially baseball feels like there's that lack of former players in front office jobs outside of, you know, manager, which doesn't really mean much. Or owner. Cheater. Oh, right. The Marlins. Yeah. That that Yankees guy. Uh, For some reason, I kept thinking to myself, A-Rod didn't actually buy a team, though. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, Jeets. I'm forgetting you already. 
Um, yeah, forgettable guy. Yeah, what did he do? Nothing. Nothing. Shitty defense, bro. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but it would be it would be uh, I'm all for it. I, I've decided that my impromptu decision of, of as the Mets um, demigod to hire Dwight Gooden, I've decided that's a good choice. And Dwight Gooden should be the GM of the Mets. Should he want to that's do really, it? That's a really great title you've given yourself. I the like demigod it. of the Mets. Yep, it's fitting. Imagine everyone had a like there was a roulette wheel for who had to take the Mets job and a bunch of candidates just put their name on it and no one wanted to do it. And they're like, all right, who's GM in the Mets this year? It was like the what world's shittiest just, video game. It was like Survivor. What if they just like drafted a guy as manager? Just drafted someone from some team in the role of manager and just said, hey, you have to do it because we have your rights and you can't uh, you can't back out now. These are the rules. Imagine they went full PR and we're like, yeah, we're naming our next man. Our next GM is going to be Jay-Z. Queens kid. No, he's Brooklyn. Never mind. Um, Nas. Nas is the new <laughs> Nas is the new Mets GM. Uh, we really like his, his acumen. You would feel as always very in touch too. Yes. He yeah, is. No, that's Nas, the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. No, Jay-Z was Brooklyn. I made a mistake. I'm so sorry, Brooklyn. And also, I'm just go fuck yourself. Um, Get kick the whites out of Flatbush. They, they're 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 doing weird shit in there. It's very freaky. Flatbush is a mistake. I have uh, no comment. Uh man, it, it is going because it we're reaching a point where no matter who gets hired is going to face an additional level of scrutiny. Because you're gonna face mm-hmm. some scrutiny because you got hired as GM. You're gonna face an additional level of scrutiny because the Mets are a fucking disaster. And now you're going to face a third level of scrutiny, which is the Mets are a disaster and no one wanted this. Why did you? Yay. Go Mets. Go meet the Mets. Could you imagine if we did that whole episode deciding which team I should follow and we decided on the Mets? No one would decide to follow the Mets, though. That's just a basic fault in logic. No one... No one wakes up and was like, you know what team I should start rooting for? The New York Metropolitans. Don't get me wrong. I don't disagree with that statement. I'm just saying that would have been fucking hilarious. Uh, I mean, well, yeah, yeah. The Mets are a big, big fucking joke. Like, man, they make the Jets look functional. They really do. Anyway, um. There's there will be a lot more to talk about with baseball as we head a little bit farther into the offseason process. There's also other stories that came out. Buster Post is retiring. We'll probably talk more about that later. Um, qualifying offers have, I think, officially been given today. I think I saw an article about it, but uh, we've got a lot to get into with it because we've been gone for so long. So that'll happen another time. We'll also have to do our uh, end of season now that awards are coming out soon. We'll, we'll, we'll be doing our uh, look back at our bold predictions oh, in the past year. Um, once we get, you know, MVP and all that stuff, which should be happening relatively soon. Um, so we will, we'll have that coming within the next probably few weeks as well. Uh, but for now we'll put it on to football because some relatively, not relatively, some big topics uh, have come up in the world of football that uh, only one of which that we have down here is really on field pertinent. Um, so the, I mean, pick your poison with biggest, but I I'll, I think it's probably the biggest. Been getting the most media attention is Aaron Rodgers. Mm. 
lied about being vaccinated, got COVID, and said he's taking advice from his good friend, Joe Rogan, and taking horse dewormer pills or paste or whatever form ivermectin comes in. And uh, wow, does he suck? Oh my God, does he suck? It's um, it's a very disappointing break toward. It's a disappointing discovery about someone who is just so widely revered, like Aaron Rodgers. He's one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game, no question. But man, it's really hard to root for the guy when he pulls this kind of bullshit. Yeah, really hard. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, I think, is a guy that has been pretty easy to like over the course of his career. He seems rather affable. Um, he He's very good at what he does. He um, seems like a nice enough, personable enough guy off the field with his goofy little State Farm commercials. Um, however, like when we were talking about Kyrie not getting the vaccine and being, mm-hmm. you know, forced not to do it. It One of the things that was very easy to say about Kyrie is that he does stuff off the field that is very positive. Mm-hmm. He does a lot for charity, does a lot for the WNBA. He does a lot for, for people and causes that he cares about that can help mitigate some of the assholishness with not taking the vaccine and, and putting his team in a horrible position because he's not allowed to play or practice without being vaccinated. And those don't, things don't really exist with Rodgers. If, if he, I'm sure he has charities. Every sport athlete has, has charities. I'm sure he does. But he has not embraced causes and made them his own in nearly the same way that Kyrie has. He's just an asshole. Kyrie is, is, a, is a quirky little pick-me bitch. Aaron Rodgers is just a piece of shit for this. I mean, there's nothing... Like when the stories came out a few years ago about how his family doesn't even talk to him, I think at least myself, I hear that as being like, well, fame of one person can bring out the worst and others as they like hit him up for money or ask right. him to, to invest in my business, buy me a house, fix my car, all that bullshit. So you can kind of wash it to the side. But if this is who this fucking guy is, maybe his family's kind of right, because what the fuck is wrong with you? Imagine being such a piece of shit that you hold these insane conspiracy theory beliefs and don't even have the guts and courage to say it at the outright. That is some pansy bullshit nonsense that this motherfucker is out there hyping up. We're still at the point where people are saying, Ah, we don't know what's in it. I got to do my own research. Show me the test tubes you've been working with, you piece of shit. Show me your fucking laboratory, you goddamn jackass. You went out there against protocol, lied to every single player, coach, front office personnel, and referee about your vaccination status for personal gain like a bitch. At least Kyrie was forthright about it. And it's not even like you straight up lied and said you were vaccinated or you never you know, came out to the idea that you were, it's like, oh no, I was immunized, immune. Uh, how do you pronounce immunized. that word? Thank you. You went out of your way to make it seem to everyone that you were when you were not because you knew it was going to be a 
very serious accusation and it would be a very serious um, issue that you weren't. So you made it seem like you were without actually having to go out and state those facts as they are. Words were a struggle there, but you, you know what we were trying to, I was trying to, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, I know. And it, it is, is just a PR nightmare <laughs> for the NFL because it's like, if this was a third string running back, your cut well, doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a new story for a day. And then it just kind of just like fizzles out like, oh, that fucking weirdo. Yeah. Why mm-hmm. did I know that guy's name? Um, is it Aaron Rodgers? I mean, this is one of the most beloved players of today and on a storied franchise who is very much so in a playoff run. And does he keep playing? I guess there's not like a, uh, I don't, I don't know much about Wisconsin. I don't know what happens with those freaky deaky cheese people. Um, but as far as, as far as I know, I'm going to guess that they, uh, they don't have the same restrictions as New York city does because New York city is such a densely populated state, uh, state city, um, that they need very strict requirements. State. It's state of mind, baby. Um, whereas I'm, I would guess anyway, that Wisconsin perhaps doesn't have those things. And theoretically there's nothing stopping Rogers from playing from a state, local municipal law level. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the NFL can't say, eat shit, bitch, get the sticky poke or get out of my, get out of my league, bitch. Um, Which I would hope that they would do, honestly. Well, there was a law or not law, a rule put in place, basically saying any player who was not um, vaccinated and has not gone through that process cannot um, participate in like media uh, endorsements uh, can't get money from you know ads or anything like that that they would have you know normally as kind of an incentive for them to do so and I've seen plenty of commercials for State Farm I've seen plenty of Aaron Rodgers on my TV not wearing a um, uniform because it's straight out of a commercial I wonder what they are gonna say about that if it ever comes to it I was going to say, I really also hope that they come for his money on this. Like, I, I don't don't know what the I'm sure it'd be super against the CBA. But if it was possible, I would hope that they retroactively confiscate his fucking game checks. I mean, you can't just lie about health and safety like this. Like, I really, really hope that the NFL makes an example out of this fucking dude. And I love Aaron Rodgers as a player prior to this instance. Like, if you listen back to previous episodes of this show, I picked him as my MVP again this season. Like I love Rogers. And I mean, this shit's fucking serious as shit, man. Like people still fucking dying from this shit. Like there's no reason to be like this when you have everything at your disposal to be a healthy, like this is so, so much worse than Kyrie. So much worse. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I bring up Kyrie is to show how much fucking worse what Rogers did and is doing is than what, than what uh, Kyrie did. Like he lied to everyone. 
and his fucking part of his fucking rationale was like, oh, well, you know, they see all these breakthrough cases, people with the vaccine still getting covid like, bitch, this shit is not armor. It is a base. Actually, armor isn't even 100 percent effective. You can die wearing armor. No, this, this is not a cure all. This, this, mm-hmm. this is not a panacea. This is a fucking vaccine. No vaccine is 100 percent effective. Like, that's not. You're not a fucking big galaxy brain ass motherfucker for saying that shit. You're a fucking idiot. Right. I like mean, your argument for not wanting to get the vaccine that would help you prevent get the disease is that you may still get the disease with it. Okay. So your choice is then to not get it at all. It's like, it's like if you get surgery for anything, like literally anything of fucking broken mm-hmm. nose to getting your appendix out to hysterectomy, whatever it is, you have a, a non-zero percent chance of dying largely, usually as a result of anesthesia. Uh, although also other surgery complications, you know, your blood doesn't clot right. Well, fucking whatever. Uh, but the chance of you dying. And that's like Aaron Rodgers saying that he doesn't want to get his soon to burst appendix out because there is a non zero percent chance that he dies on the operating table. It's fucking stupid. It's so fucking stupid. Well, nobody on Fox is telling him not to get his appendix out. That's the difference. He has bolts in his fucking body that a doctor put there when he broke his goddamn collarbone. There is metal, actual metal in his fucking body that a doctor put there. And I'd love to know if he did his own research on that shit before they implanted fucking metal into his body before they did it. He's worried about microchips. Bro, you go off in a fucking metal detector. TSA's on your ass every time you walk into a fucking airport. What the fuck is wrong with you? If they wanted yeah, to put Aaron a Rogers fucking uh, a metal detector. <laughs> if they wanted to put a fucking microchip in your body that would have stapled in your fucking collarbone when they did that goddamn surgery in 2017. Silent on that shit, huh, bitch? How many fucking immunizations do you have to take before you go to college? We talk about this all the time. Aaron Rodgers is a college-educated man, which means he had to get other vaccines when he went to college. What the fuck is wrong with you? You pick-me-ass bitch. The news told him to. Joe Rogan told him to. That's even worse. I'd rather he say it was Fox News. Joe Rogan, that fucking clown? I'd rather he say Wendy Williams told him to. At least then we could argue, oh, he's just straight up batshit insane, not, oh, you're just an asshole. Who yeah, I wish he, I wish he said his dog told him to. Jeez. There's medication for that. <laughs> My dog barked when I went to go get the vaccine. Clearly, I cannot do so. I mean, my dog like doesn't like it when he takes medicine. I shouldn't like it when I take my medicine. They didn't give me the shot and, and a slice of cheese. Like, how can I trust that? <laughs> if it's not coated in peanut butter, dog, I can't do it. <laughs> uh, like, I would have laughed and probably been less mad if he said that in the press conference. But he didn't. And he's still an asshole. So he's still an asshole. God, that doesn't is... change. Deeply upsetting. Another deeply upsetting news because we're only going to burn ourselves out continuing to talk about Rodgers. So eat a dick. Showed up your ass. Um, Henry Ruggs, the wide receiver for the Oakland Raiders, is probably going to jail. Um, he Forever. he was in a fatal car crash uh, in which he 
blew twice the legal limit of uh, blood alcohol content, like 0.16 some shit, um, driving 156 he, miles an hour. He blew twice the legal limit two hours after the incident. Yeah, and uh, managed to fatally wound somebody, mortally wound somebody uh, from the back. He rammed into somebody so hard that they died. That's honestly astonishing. I mean, that's that's a feat of engineering that he managed to accomplish that. Um, And now is is under arrest and and, uh, forget playing football. Man's not likely to fucking see the sun outside of a prison cell for a while. Um, And it's an upsetting story because, you know, the person's life is now gone. Uh, and in what is one of the classic most preventable ways, which is driving inebriated when you're rich. And I understand that Henry Ruggs is still a, a pretty young dude. And I'm sure, you know, it's not like he has worlds of money the same way that some of his, his peers do from having gotten drafted higher and being on the second contracts or whatever. But yeah. by the standards of an average American, he is certainly very, very wealthy. And my God, you could hire a personal driver. It's, it's so immensely preventable. It's, it's very, very sad. Us normal people, when we can't get a DD, get an Uber, costs like $10. God, it's probably hard to get at three fifty. dollars But again, you're not normal people. You have the means to do so. Absolutely no reason. Uh, what is a little bit different from from this side is uh Derek Carr actually came out and said that he is offering uh, his love and support to Henry Ruggs which I thought was an interesting point because uh, I know myself anyway usually get pretty hung up on the anger side of things uh it's very easy for me um, mm-hmm. and so it's a default and it is it is interesting to to hear and I I think there's some some truth to it when it comes to what Derek Carr says of offering support to somebody who clearly is going through it it it, it it's tough to balance that with the horrifying act committed uh, but I I do suppose that he is also right it is an interesting sign of uh, bond as teammates for uh, the sports yeah. angle on it but also the humanity humanitarian side of it which is to say. Um, Shit clearly ain't going right for Henry Ruggs. Um, yeah, so I'll be here. I mean, at the end of the day, these guys were teammates. They were friends. They were guys who worked extremely closely together for multiple years. There's a special level of bod that I'm sure they have there. And at the end of the day, that's a friend who made a truly tragic decision and and ended the life of somebody else. You know, if you or I were in this situation and one of us did something like this and was in this, you know, predicament because of our own actions, yeah, we would be furious at the other person for doing such a thing. So, you know, callously, callously, but our love and support would still be there for each other. Right. Like, hey, that's such an awful thing and a terrible decision. That doesn't seem like the rational sane thing that they would normally do clearly something's wrong we need to get them the help when they need it most but at the same time no matter what at the end of the day it comes down to you need to kind of live with your actions 
And uh, I don't I don't know about you, but something I, I've, I've thought about a little bit more, especially over the past couple of years, as the conversations around uh, prison reform, as well as general like corrections reform has become more of a conversation. Because I don't think. And I might be speaking out of turn for you, but I don't think either of us would a- agree with the sentiment that someone who, who does something horrible should be fully excommunicated from society for their entirety of their lives. Um, because there's no reformation with that, mm-hmm. you know, um, within reason. Right. I don't want to go out and say that that is a catch all. Everyone can be reformed. Everyone can be saved kind of statement. But yes, as a whole reformation over punishment at right and and part of the key idea behind prison reform is that prison doesn't really do that it doesn't really offer reformation as much as it is just a long series of 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 sticks with seemingly no carrot um and obviously again with the the rugs thing it's it's very difficult to say that man should eventually play in the nfl again because i mean this is beyond ridiculous thing to have done and beyond tragic um, mm-hmm. but it, it does make me ask myself the question when these types of things these types of off the field wrongdoings which feels very 1950s um, occur of like what is my limit for should this person play professional sports again you know what I mean like this one yeah. feels like probably a no but yeah what would be the line? Um, felony for me is kind of the line. Um, and even within that, there are certain things that I think I could be willing to accept based off of, you know, the, the genuine law being broken. I mean, when it comes down to it, if a guy is committing felony tax evasion because his accountant didn't pay his taxes that's different from vehicular manslaughter it's tough you know it's hard to just set a precedent and be able to say this is how i'm going to feel about every situation moving forward without really knowing what's coming or the situation the greater situation at hand but yeah, it's tough being able to forgive anything close to that. Right. It's- and I again, I want to separate this conversation a little bit more from the Henry Ruggs situation because it is uh, heinous and awful. And there's only so much that we can say about what had actually happened because I don't want to get into the X's and O's of what the Raiders are going to do with the red wide receiver situation. It's very tacky, seeming for mm-hmm. the, the eventual... Poor- Poor taste. It, yeah, it's a very poor taste to lead the conversation to that. Uh, which I, I, I think the more interesting conversation really is where, because what sports teams punish or leagues punish uh, can oftentimes, in my view, be somewhat of a reflection of American values. Uh, and I, I, you know, it's hard to look at uh, with the easy one being drugs or marijuana usage being a really easy connector to, to that. You know, that person got... Uh, Josh Gordon got kicked out of the league again because of marijuana usage or uh, uh, Laramie Tunsil fell in the draft because he was 
on video smoking pot. And we treat that so seriously because it, it affects something that we watch. It affects something that we do. And it's a negative, con- it's an immediate negative consequence that we witness and tie that in our minds to that activity. Drug use is bad because now my team is worse. And I'm mad that someone did drugs because now my team is worse. And the reality is, if the NFL just didn't punish anybody for marijuana usage, then your team wouldn't be worse. And chances are no one's really going to get hurt if they do that. And so you got to wonder, uh, and again, I want to distance this very much so from the actions of Henry Ruggs, but you got to, I wonder a little bit, like, where is the line for here's what this person's normal life is. And the ultimate goal of reformation should be some resumption of regular life. Mm -hmm. So does that include playing your sport again? And uh, yeah, I think you're right. It it can't be like a a catch all. It, It also can't be quick. You know, no one, if, if Henry Ruggs was to ever get to a point where he could um, be you know, fully back into society and you could believe that he would never do something like this again and all that, he'll probably, it'll probably take time to the point where he won't really even be capable of playing in the NFL to the level that he was yeah. uh, anymore. And so it, it's difficult to really get a feel for, for where that is, but I, I do think it's important for us to, to question a little bit um, as time goes on to get a better feel for where, what role does having your job be there for you, even a high profile one um, after you do something wrong, where, how, how important is that? Mm-hmm. So I thought it'd be, yeah. And I, I think thankfully he shared, you know, an offensive team room with a guy like Darren Waller, who has faced the same, you know, I don't know the specifics of Henry Ruggs' situation. It seems like this is something to do with not just decision-making, but alcoholism as a whole, which, I mean, we both very much agree that it is a disease, not just a, a, an active choice. Darren Waller is a guy who's been there. He's gone through it. He's gone through the process of fighting those demons and overcoming them to the point where he lives a very happy, healthy, meaningful life after doing so, he would be a very good resource, you know, for Henry Ruggs to lean on, go, you know, have a guy there who understands what the feeling is like, you know, what it, the reactions he's getting, you know, what, it is like to go through this process and, and fight both, you know, those internal and external factors. Obviously the circumstances of both of their battles are going to be very, very different. And there are just going to be things that Darren Waller is just going to have to say, Hey, I don't know what it's like to kill someone. Uh, I would think, um, man, it's just, I don't want to see Henry Ruggs's life end because of this singular choice. Like I wouldn't want anyone's to do, but at the end of the day, I don't think this is a fight to get back to the NFL moment. I think this is a fight to save your own life because if you don't, this is a very steep hill to fall down. Right. And I, I think that is one of the benefits of sports is that when awful things like this happen, it's with 
someone that can be recognized by a large group of people. When this happens to a guy from your hometown who does something terrible like this, I mean, some people in your hometown might know it, but it's tough to start a conversation with that on a grander scale because who the fuck knows mm-hmm. Chad? It's like right. six people. Um, and this is a conversation that's obviously bigger than Henry Ruggs because it has to do with how we view uh, discipline and and uh, punishment and enforcement of laws and you know criminal justice as a whole. And so... While, again, horrible, not trying to, you know, uh, lighten it in the slightest, it it is worthwhile as a as as we often say here, you know, sports is a a, a good finger on the pulse of what's happening in society. Um, And Mm -hmm. it's it's a good way to gauge kind of where we are in terms of figuring out our limits and what is appropriate since I think if this was 30, if not even 30 years ago, 20 years ago, they'd be fuck this guy, throw him under the jail, you know, that type of shit. Mm-hmm. And while that's a comes from, I think actually a relatively reasonable place of anger and, and, and um, resentment. Um, and those feelings are, are certainly present within all of us. when we see this type of stuff because mm-hmm. it's very natural to recoil and to be mad and confused and angry. It is not the best option for what to have happen. Um, right. So anyway, let's close out on a little bit of a lighter topic, uh, which is Odell Beckham Jr., who is set on Monday to be officially released by the Browns and hit waivers. And as you listen to this, it is Monday, and we'll find out what happens. Now, Corwin, I kind of forget. and uh, don't really know. Maybe I never know. Uh, how waivers works because do the Browns have the option of trading him while he's going through the, the hit and waivers process? Like when does the, when do they lose if, the ability to move him somewhere else? Once they officially cut him, which I don't believe he would be put on waivers until he's officially cut. Um, so I think if they don't do so, I forget what the deadline would be. I don't know exactly what it would be because it's you know different each week, something like that. But if the Browns have cut them, they cut them. And I don't think they would even have a chance to put in a waiver claim if they wanted to, but I don't know that for certain. Um, but I do know it's reverse order of standings for teams that do want to place a waiver claim and, and would then sign him to a, a prorated uh, contract. So do you think Odell Beckham Jr. would clear waivers? I don't. All right, so I'm going to read you out the waiver order, and I would like for you to stop me when you think he gets claimed. All right? Okay. Detroit Lions. Stop. That's kind of what I figured. Yeah. Yeah. I get Odell Beckham Jr. has said, he does not want to play for anyone that's not a contender. And I understand why a team like the Lions, who suck, would be weary of such a thing. I don't think a team like the Lions have the luxury of, let's call your bluff, like 
they have so much cap space. They have money to spend. They have an owner that is, by all means, very wealthy. You claim Odell Beckham Jr. in the hope that you can sign him to a longer-term contract. Because what do you lose if you don't? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Their wide receiving core, their room with of receivers now, is already atrocious. It is one of the thinnest, if not the thinnest in the league. There's no reason not to. Would he have any ability to say, no, fuck you? He could not report, but that's the same issue that he's at now. And right. he's he's not getting paid. He's not um, a part of the team or anything like that. What do you uh, what do you make of Odell's time in Cleveland? Because it's it's kind of. Uh, weird, very weird. He had his moments. He's dealt with a lot of injuries. It just comes down to the fact that he has pulled the diva routine, which is what got him kicked out of New York. And it's getting him kicked out of Cleveland. And I think it's getting old for a guy that is not produced at nearly the same numbers as what he did when he was on his rookie deal. I think it's just that simple of, you know, he has not lived up to Odell Beckham Jr. expectations. And I don't think he's a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL right now. And until he proves that he can be that again, I don't think he has the right to complain about a team like Cleveland when by all means, they're one of the better teams in the NFL, even if they're not living up to those expectations on their own. I don't know why you think you can just choose to say, I want to go play for a contender. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm done practicing. I'm done being a part of the team. Yeah. Um, so his stats across the, the, the his, uh, versus his time in the giants versus his time with Cleveland. Uh, he played in 59 games with the giants. He played in 29 games with Cleveland um, giants across five seasons, Cleveland across across so far two and a half. Um, he played uh, 16 games in 2019. He played seven games in 2020, and he's played so far six games in 2021, just for perspective. Um, he, I'll use just rate stats to make it a little bit easier. Uh, his yards per reception is basically identical. In uh, New York, he got 14.0, and in Cleveland, 13.9. Uh, however, his uh, receptions per game is dramatically lower. In New York, it was at 6.6 receptions per game. In Cleveland, down to 3.9. And it shows in his catch percent, as his catch percent was 62.7% in New York and 54.3% in uh, Cleveland. His yards per game is also colossally different, as he had 92.8 yards per game in New York and 54.7 with his time in Cleveland. Um, his yards per target is a little bit closer, 8.8 in New York, 7.6 for Cleveland, but that's still a pretty big gap when you extrapolate that out to the number of targets he is likely to get in a given game. Um, uh, his yeah, total yards per touch is actually slightly higher in Cleveland, uh, 13.7 for New York, 13.8 for Cleveland. But when you see it laid out uh, between his, his, his time in uh, 
the other categories, it doesn't really quite make up for it. Um, his advanced stats, uh, as far as pro football reference is concerned, only go back to 2018, so it's tough to get a true comparison of his total playing time in uh, New York in that respect. But if you even look at just kind of eyeballing it, the difference between his yards per game uh, as compared to his targets and receptions, all the numbers seem to be down across the board in Cleveland. And on the one hand, it makes you wonder about usage and how he fit into the playbook, how he meshed with Baker Mayfield, stuff that might not be him, but it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, like Corwin said, he's not producing what you traded him to produce. And he is a big personality. And you know mm-hmm. what? Of all the position groups, wide receivers tend to have the biggest personalities. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Oftentimes, it can be something that people rally around. Having a very big voice, uh, who uh, someone who's very good at their job, doing it at a very high level, that could very much so be a rallying point. Uh, but when you're not doing it well, when it's not going, whether it's your fault or not whether it's just not going well because either you're not getting to where the ball is or the ball isn't being thrown to where you can access it. I guess it just doesn't, everything has its limits. It could even be seen like, like the Yankees firing, you're not firing, but not rehiring Joe Girardi. Like, you know, some points, even if it's not going poorly, if it's not going really well, sometimes it's just time for a Mm -hmm. shakeup. And I'd love to be able to say, Hey, go out and get what value you can from a guy like Odell Beckham, you know, improve your team in other ways. If he can, you know, be that guy for you, sell him for 50 cents on the dollar and, and get what you can. It just so happens they don't really get much out of it. And um, they're kind of just stuck with a guy that's just so diva like such a diva that their hand were was completely forced and the only reason they have to trade him is because he's such a cancer to the locker room. And it's uh you know as as New York sports people it is uh, it is tough to see our boy go down like that. Um cuz he has certainly brought some really great moments to the Giants even though neither of the two people sitting here are Giants fans. Um Still brought a lot of lot of a uh, lot of good memories to the New York sports fans here in an era when, boy, there wasn't shit going on. Um, mm-hmm. Knicks sucked, Yankees sucked, Rangers were fine. Eh, Rangers actually were pretty good during that stretch, but Islanders sucked, uh, uh, Devils sucked, Nets sucked, Jets sucked. New York sports fan, great, great group of teams. Also, I didn't realize this city, am I right? Yeah, yeah. One day, please, fucking God, please. Um, yeah, twenty-seven is not enough. I uh, I didn't realize this is the last year of his contract. Oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. I mean, I don't know if they would be eligible for a compensation pick, seeing as they cut him rather than him just leaving in free agency. Um, but that would, would be an interesting not. factor. Yeah, I would almost be more inclined to keep him and just say, hey, go fall down the stairs, twist your ankle so we can put you on IR. Um, And unless the issue came down to 
it being, you know, against the CBA to allow him to just not go to practice, not have any other designation, anything like that. I don't really know. Um, I almost would rather keep him and uh, get that compensation pick because I imagine regardless of, you know, him being a diva, he's going to sign a very large contract and that's going to equal a very nice compensation pick uh, next year. Where do you think he goes in free agency? Oh, man, that's tough because it's definitely going to be a contender. It's really hard to say because I just don't know what that's going to look like, that market's going to look like going into next season. I said Just like there's so many. Fr- that was the first thing that came to mind. It's such a Patriots move. It's such a Patriots move. Especially because they feels like they hey, just Odell. did this with Cam Newton. Hey, Odell. Want to be Randy Moss? Be Randy Moss. We got you. Yeah. Oh, all right. I'm better than Randy Moss. Okay, ah. Odell. Why don't you just come prove that then? Hall of Fame, Randy Moss. Yeah. Sure. Sure you are. Um, yeah. All right, well, I say we wrap it up because I'm now yawning and it is late, and uh, we've been going for a while. This is we're not we're not giving you three weeks worth of podcast here, folks. You're getting what you get, uh, and you'll fucking like it, you dirty bitch. Uh, so, uh, thanks for 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 welcoming welcome welcoming us back. That was tough to get out. Uh, Jesus Christ. But anyway. Uh, that's it. Welcome if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Juicing Pod. If you want to hit Corwin up on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. I'd like to hit up myself on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. Uh, please send emails to the show. You can do so at juicingthenumbers at gmail.com. And until Thursday, y'all have a good one. Bye.